0: This is the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast with Lindsay Elizabeth Preston. Episode 180, Trauma Responses 101. Welcome to the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast, the show for barrier-breaking women who are ready to shed their good girl layers so they can own their power and live deeply fulfilling lives instead. I'm your host, Lindsay Elizabeth. I'm a leadership coach to women all over the world, and I've lived through enough in life to know that easier doesn't always equate to better. We can't fear the fire. We must learn to become it. And on this show, I'll teach you how to do just that. So join me and my guests as we challenge you to shed society's bullshit systems and beliefs to become even more of the strong, resilient, and powerful woman you were meant to be. As you listen, trust your intuition to take what you love and leave the rest. The thoughts and perspectives I share on the show are my own, with the lens of my lived experience as a privileged white, cis-straight, able-bodied woman. And while that informs my experience and perspectives, I wholeheartedly believe living a deeply fulfilling life is possible to every woman. If I ever say anything harmful, I'm open to doing better and hearing your feedback. My goal is for you to leave this show feeling empowered, inspired, and ready to share this show with every woman you know so they too can create a life that lights them the fuck up from the inside. Are you ready to get started? Let's go. Beautiful soul, welcome to another episode of the show. Ooh, I've got a treat for you today. I've been teasing her on some of my other episodes. Dr. Lee Cordell is here. Lee and I were in a mastermind together called Seven Figure Seductress earlier this year, and I just fell in love with her. I have a major girl brain crush on her. She has so much information, especially in regards to trauma. I've learned so much from her just in the few months that I've known her, I've done some of her courses, and I, of course, had to have her on the show because I want you learning from her too. She's incredible. Dr. Lee will get all into her background and how she has gotten into all things trauma, but I'll just give you a little bit about her. She is an expert anti-shame coach and the CEO and founder of the Institute for Trauma and Psychological Safety. Dr. Lee uses her 15 plus years of experience in healthcare psychology and education to help her professional and entrepreneurial clients release shame and prioritize pleasure, as a path to trusting themselves to call in what they desire. Her mission is to empower people in the development of safe, healthy, and shame-free personal and professional relationships. You're going to learn so much from this episode today. It's going to be one that you may come back to time and time again, especially if you're new to what trauma responses are because it's going to blow your mind. You're going to see the world and yourself in a whole new way. So, just realize that, take this episode slow. If the trauma responses are something you've learned from me or somebody else, then this episode will be a really great refresher for you and allow you to see things in different ways. I learned many new things off this episode today, including how freeze isn't called freeze anymore. So, get ready for that and what Dr. Lee talks about there. But, yeah. Man, it's a really great episode. I can't (laughs) wait to listen back to it personally, as just like a client and not an interviewer. So, enjoy this one, my friends. Without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Lee Cordell. All right, Miss Lee, here we are. I've been teasing you on some of the other podcasts of like, you have to meet this woman, Lee, and all the trauma things I've learned from her. And so, here we are doing it. Thanks for coming. It's so special.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. You're welcome. Okay. So first, before we get into all things trauma responses, I w- I don't even know if I know this story. Like I would love to know your background and how you shifted into doing what you do now.
1: Sure. So I uh, am a doctorally prepared nurse practitioner, acute care adult. So what that means is, is I take care of super sick humans in the hospital. Um, that was my life for, oh goodness. Um, as a as a nurse in the medical and um, really all the ICUs and in the emergency room, and then moving into uh, my work as a nurse practitioner with bone marrow transplant patients. So I did that for over a decade. And um, I think that I got into that. I think a lot of nurses and healthcare providers get into that because we have a lot of our own trauma and our own anxiety, and it's like a good place to channel that, right? So uh, as I got further into my career, I decided I wanted to go back and get my doctorate because I was teaching and they really like you to have a doctorate when you're teaching. And I was in a uh, elective class that happened to have a 30 minute lecture on trauma informed care. And I like, I can still remember it. Like if you took me back, I could tell you where I was sitting. I could tell you like all of it because it was just such a a crucial moment of my life where I was like, oh no, this is, this is everything that I didn't know I've been asked 10 years. Like that's how I think about it. So learning about trauma-informed care, I was like, this revolutionizes how I show up with my patients and how I show colleagues and also how I show up towards myself. And so I went, and while i was getting my doctorate got certified as a certified clinical trauma professional and then i was like you know what like i really need to shift i was i was actually doing life coaching and mindset coaching on the side for people for the last 2 years of my nursing career and i was like i got to incorporate this stuff into this and really get out of nursing because I'm noticing that this is a place where my trauma is getting reenacted and replayed out over and over. And it's, and it's not a place that I can personally do my own healing. And so I uh, went full-time in my business in December of 2020 and started the Institute for Trauma and Psychological Safety in September of 2021. We're coming up on our one year anniversary, which is exciting. Well, it's probably past that now that you're listening, but, and really like, made a commitment to myself. I don't share this a lot, but this is a, a huge part of my mission is I don't want other healthcare providers or other people in general who are in jobs that feel really hard or traumatizing for them. I don't want them to necessarily have to leave in order to be able to heal. Cause like, that's not feasible for a lot of humans. Like the career they're in is um, something that they need to stay in for their family or income or whatever. So, you know, empowering people to make changes and also if they want to stay in the job or in the relationship or in the place that they are, like empowering them to be able to do that.
0: Mm, yeah. So good. I didn't realize you, you went full-time in your business just at the end of 2020. Yeah. A well, lot be... in two years,
1: not even two I years. I did. I did. <laughs> to be fair and you know we'll talk about this when we get into trauma responses. working for me was like the place i felt the safest. so mm. i was probably working 20 to 30 hours in a week in my business and also working 40 to 50 hours at the hospital. uh zero out of 5 stars, do not recommend that. <laughs> also <laughs> i like to be honest with people like i, I it wasn't a, a huge jump. It was actually a bigger jump to learn how to not work eighty hour weeks and to work thirty yeah. hour weeks. Totally,
0: I so relate to that. I think many people listening can listen can relate to that too. Lee, yeah. So okay, so let's go into these trauma responses then, and we'll talk about where the overworking yeah. tends to fall. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Yes, we
0: can do that right now. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about the four different trauma responses.
1: Sure. So, the four different trauma responses, I'll just preface it with this is that these are involuntary responses. They are things that happen without our conscious knowledge. So, they're not something that you choose to do. They're something that happened to you. They're part of our evolutionary, biological response to things that feel threatening, things that feel scary. So, when we say trauma responses, another good way of t- talking about these is threat responses anytime your nervous system is like oh that feels scary or oh that feels dangerous and it's not just physical stuff it's not just almost getting in a car accident or missing a step and and falling those six inches i don't know if anyone's ever experienced that but like that moment where your body goes i'm dying and then your foot hits that's a threat response but it's also psychological stuff too like it can be something as simple as My husband rolled his eyes at me at the dinner table or my kids spilt their drink or my coworker didn't answer my email or my boss said something passive aggressive. All of those things can feel threatening in our nervous system uh, because as mammals, as humans, psychological or emotional threats feel just as scary in our body as physical threats do. So I like to tell people that because sometimes they hear trauma or threat responses and they go like, oh, I, I shouldn't be having that because or I should be more in control of that. And I'm like, nope they're involuntary and also people go oh I shouldn't have it towards this because it's psychological or emotional and I say nope it's the same so having said that the four responses there's three what we refer to as more empowered responses meaning that when you respond in this way your body's like okay I can fight off this threat I can get away from this threat I can handle this threat and then there's one response that's really made up of like three responses, but we kind of lump them together. That is what we refer to as more of a disempowered response. And this is where your body goes, I can't fight this thing off. So I'm going to prepare to die. Like I'm going to prepare to just to, yeah, to, to roll over and and play dead or, and, or die. And I know that sounds kind of uh, dramatic, but it really does happen a lot more in our bodies than we realize. So the first of these responses is our fight response. And this is something that I think a lot of us are used to seeing, right? This is usually happens when we feel stronger or bigger or more capable or empowered than the person in front of us. Sometimes it happens when we feel like we're on equal footing too, right? So this can be the actual aggressive statement or actual aggressive body movement, like, hitting somebody or like physically hurting somebody, this can also just be yelling at somebody or screaming in frustration or anger. Passive aggressiveness is also part of a fight response. So passive aggressiveness is interesting. Passive aggressiveness is something we do when the other person, we feel like we're more on equal footing with, and we're kind of testing to see if they're going to back down or not. Right. Mm. So it's a way, it's a way to like notice so if I get passive aggressive with my husband or my my spouse or partner and they don't say anything, it's like, okay, like I won that round, right? <laughs> totally right? Sometimes you're like poking to see like, are they gonna back down or are they gonna like double down, right? So a lot of the ways that I see fight show up in people is like they're they're just defensive right? Any, any small thing happens and they're defensive. They're quick to anger. They're quick to frustration. They're quick to feeling offended. And again, it's not a voluntary response. It's that they see the world as dangerous. They see other humans as dangerous. And so their nervous system is responding to that threat. And I'll say too, is like, I try not to be stereotypical or like generalize in our work, but I will say that hormones play a part here. So humans who have had received more testosterone in their bodies over time, typically will go into fight response more than humans who have predominantly received estrogen and progesterone as their um, main hormones throughout their life. And that is just because testosterone is a hormone that like, helps our body get stronger and taller and faster and be more regulated. And so it makes sense that from a fight perspective, that people with that more of that hormone are going to go to that more. So I like to share that because I have a lot of, um, a lot of female clients that are like, I wish I would fight more, but I always end up going into one of these other responses. And I'm like, or I should say I have clients who have estrogen predominant bodies and they're, I'm like, that's normal. That makes sense because you're not hardwired to do that necessarily. Then we have flight and flight is what we do when maybe we don't feel bigger or stronger, but we do feel faster or more wily. Like we feel like we're able to get away easier and flight energy. I see a lot in people who are really avoidant. So if you are like, oh, I'm going to have a conversation with this person and it's going to feel scary and it's going to feel threatening. And maybe they're going to get upset or maybe they're going to try to fight me or they're going to go into a fight response. Let's just like go, like, let's walk the long way around the office so that I don't have to see this human or let's not answer that email for six days because I don't know. I, I just don't want to deal with it. Flight can also be frantic. So this can be seen in humans who distract themselves, right? So I'm going to keep myself occupied with a lot of tasks or a lot of things so that I don't have to think about this scary thing over here. But again, it's an active, it's an active state. It's not necessarily that you're making the choice, but your nervous system is going, Who I'm feeling all this energy in my body. Let's put it towards oh, I have this project that's due in two days and I still don't know what I'm doing with it. So let's do all the laundry. Let's clean the house from top to bottom. Let's, you know, clear out our email inbox. Let's do all the things except the thing that we actually need to do. Mm. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I'll also say that all of these threat responses or um, trauma responses, I still participate in a lot. Like these things still happen. I'm just, I just catch them more often now. So if you're hearing this and going, oh, I, I do that, you're in good company because we all do it. So then the third empowered threat response or trauma response is fawning. And this is one that I think is way under, we don't catch it as much because it's something that is very societally okay. It's very socially approved of to be in fawn response. And fawn response is essentially, if you think of animals, if you think of two dogs meeting up and they're both like uh, stronger dogs and one of the dogs bares his teeth and the other dog like rolls over on his back and puts his belly up to the air. And he's like, dude, you're in charge. Like you can have whatever you want, like whatever you need. Right. He's saying, um, I am going to put myself in a position of vulnerability to show you that you're in charge so that you don't hurt me. And this is what we do in fawn response. We essentially... There's a couple of different ways we can do it, but we either people please where we say yes to things we want to say no to or no to things we want to say yes to in order to make the person in front of us happy and thereby no longer threatening because their the potential loss of their approval or rejection from them or their withdrawing of intimacy or love feels so threatening to our nervous system that we go, oh, let's just give them what they want, even though we don't want it because then we won't lose this connection
0: mm-hmm.
1: we'll also ta- also sometimes go into fawn when another person is in fight so if another person is in fight and we don't feel like we can fight them back in order to get them out of fight a lot of times we'll go into fawn so that they get what they want and they re-regulate their nervous system the other thing that we will do in fawn sometimes is we will make ourselves more childlike or more vulnerable, kind of like the dog did. And basically this is a subset that we call crying and attaching for help. And this is where you, again, make yourself vulnerable. You make yourself in a place of need. So damsel in distress is a form of fawning where you basically go, oh my gosh, I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. I need you to help me. And it puts people in a position of feeling empowered to rescue you. And it also makes you seem like less of a threat to people. So I see this used a lot. Little kids do this. If you've ever watched your little kid come up to you and they're, maybe they're nine or 10, but they start talking to you in a baby voice and they start, they get the really big doe eyes and they like put their hands in front of them and they say, oh mommy, could I, could I please have this? That's them actually fawning, trying to make themselves more meek and mild and vulnerable to get you to give them what? they want. Now, does your kid realize they're fawning? Probably not, but evolutionarily their their brain knows, "Hey, if we make ourselves cuter and smaller, mommy's more likely to protect us or caregivers more likely to protect us," so like let's fawn. And then the last one, so those are the empowered responses. The last one is what happens when we feel helpless. And uh, we feel like, nope, imminent danger. There's nothing I can do to get out of this. So two things I need to do here. One is I need to disconnect my brain from my body so that I don't remember this properly. Mm -hmm. Because who wants to be present for that, right? The other thing we do is, our body does, is it says, we also don't want this to hurt. So let's dump in some really strong pain killing chemicals into our system. So that for any science people out there, endogenous opioids, so basically, you know, a lot of people have heard of opioids, really strong drugs that we give people in pill or IV form, our body makes those naturally. And it dumps those in and it says, okay, if you're going to get seriously hurt, if you're going to get maimed or killed, let's at least have it feel better. So your last moments aren't awful. So we have this really interesting sense of decrease in pain. And then we also have this sense of dissociation, meaning that we are not fully mentally present. And we call this state, um, some people refer to this state as freeze, but we actually in the the trauma world have renamed this and call this fright. Hmm. And the reason behind that is, is that it really is a state of terror. It's a state of terror. And when you think of somebody who goes through shock or somebody who's like super frightened, you can think of what their body looks like, right? It does, they freeze, they go into something we call tonic immobility, meaning that they can't move. They've clenched up in tension, but they can't move. And then as that state progresses, as that state of helplessness gets longer, they go into further states called fade. And this is where that mental dissociation kicks in, where you're brain goes let's go somewhere else and you know that somebody's been in fade in a tra- in a traumatic or threatening situation when they tell you time slowed down or it was like a movie or everything was moving in slow motion um I watched everything happening from outside of my body I I was floating up above myself anything like yes. that tells you that people were in fade but <laughs> <that> they were <laughs> right I just got I just went back there Lee woo Right. I can think of a couple moments in my life where again, like you're just, they're so clear to you. Yeah. And the other thing I will, I will say just as a quick caveat is something that is helpful to know here is that your brain isn't processing time and space correctly. It's also not processing the event correctly. So, and and the third thing it's doing is it's not putting words to what happened. Because it doesn't have time to, and it doesn't have the the capacity to send blood to that language center in your brain. So a lot of times when people go into fade, they have a trauma that takes them to that helpless state. They can't tell you what happened. They don't have the words to describe it. The other thing is, is that their memories are often wrong. This is why eyewitness testimonies and accounts are so faulty, is because everyone is interpreting that, that experience of time and space differently. And so what they see, what they hear, what they feel is different. And so memories that are formed in the fade state are the least accurate memories we have. So I will have people go through traumatic events and say, well, I kind of remember this, but like, I don't know if this really happened or not. And I say, here's the, here's the important part. If your body stored it, it's real. And the way in which that memory comes back to you and that reality comes back to you may not be real. And it was still your reality in the moment. So, what you're experiencing, what you're remembering is valid. And it doesn't matter if it's the truth or not. Mm -hmm. We don't need it to be true in order to move through it. Yeah. So, the last piece of this helpless state is faint. And this is where you'll see people actually lose consciousness because. Their brain is like, no, you, you don't want to remember this. And so something else that I really like to tell uh, trauma survivors is if you go into freeze or excuse me, if you go into fright or fade or faint, a lot of people make themselves wrong for that. They're like, I don't know why I didn't fight the person off or I don't know why I didn't try harder or why I didn't run. And I'm like, because your nervous system picked the safest threat response that it knew. And for your body at that time, it was fright or it was fade. And so your body did what it thought was best to survive. So we don't want to make ourselves wrong for that. If your body thought you could have fought, it would have. Mm -hmm. So those are the four in a, I'll just say, I teach this in like normally over a two hour period. (laughs) So that's like a very, very brief synopsis. And if you just heard that and went, whoa, like. Uh, witnessing you and also because um, it's a lot to take in but also just uh, there as you hear these if you've never heard these before experiences you're going to start going through your day and be like oh that was a fight moment or like oh that was the freeze moment where my boss asked me if I um, what salary I wanted and I just froze for like five seconds and then blurted out a number that wasn't even the number I wanted okay that was a little that was a little fright and that was a little fawn you'll start to see it more and more
0: yeah oh my gosh lee so good okay so a couple of questions for you and these are yeah. like kind of next level questions so if you're already overwhelmed by what Lee said maybe pause this episode come back <laughs> re-listen because now i'm like okay i want to like get your zone of genius on some of these more like advanced questions so some people believe some practitioners believe that we go into the same trauma responses over and over and it's become a mm-hmm. pattern
1: you ever uh-huh. heard of like the
0: five personality patterns it's kind of like um
1: you know, what's fascinating is we actually have, we've developed at the Institute six dysregulated patterns. So I haven't heard of these five. Well, maybe I have heard of these five. You tell me.
0: Okay. So it's leaving, which is basically uh-huh. like flight, uh-huh. aggressive, which is fight, okay. rigid, which is kind of interesting because it's kind of fight, but like, yeah. I'm a good kid kind of way. Right. Okay. Um, then there's enduring, which is freeze back yeah. in the day. And then there's merging and then there's like compensated merging or like what you kind of described of like, I'm going to get my needs out of you or you're going to give me my needs kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But his theory, Kessler, I think is who wrote it. Yeah, Kessler. His theory is like, okay, we have one or two patterns. We go to the same ones time and time again. But as I've kind of opened my eyes and especially followed your work, I'm like, no. And I'm observing in my own life. It's like like you said, we kind of choose, don't you think? Yes.
1: So the way in which we categorize, so threat responses are dysregulation, okay? It is your nervous system getting activated by a threat. Ideally, we are both emotionally and physically regulated, meaning that we, well, and and we don't want to always be emotionally and physically regulated because that would mean we have no stress, which means we have no growth, no opportunities for development, nothing, right? We need some stress. And the goal is to, as we notice we're getting dysregulated, to come back to regulation as quickly as possible and to understand and interpret what that threat was so that we can use that information moving forward and stay more regulated the next time we see the thing. However, as humans, like we're really bad like, and I'm, that's not a judgment. Like we're just really from a social conditioning perspective, we are conditioned not to move through our trauma responses. We're conditioned to get activated and then not do anything about it. And so we're conditioned to actually stay dysregulated, which is another thing I could go like way more into, but like, The point of that is, is that I think we develop patterns as well. And I think that the patterns that we developed are based more on our unmet needs than on our like one type of trauma response, Hmm. because most humans will, if one threat response or one trauma response doesn't work, they'll try another. So here's an example. My husband and I, we used to, before we did a lot of this work, like we were very uh, trauma bonded. We had a lot of dysregulation in our relationship and I would typically be in like passive aggressive fight mode most of the time. And he would be in fawn mode, but when he would get enough, like when he would get annoyed enough by me kind of picking at him, he would flip into fight mode and immediately I would go into fawn. Mm. So we would switch. And that was because my nervous system was adapting to the threat in front of it. So what we, the way that we categorize dysregulation patterns at the Institute is based on three main needs. And then there's two types based off of each need. So we have the need for, I need to be in control. We have the need for, I need to be liked or appreciated. And we have the need for, I need to feel safe and secure. So based off of what you didn't get when you were a kid, you're going to go into those patterns. Now, some humans, they have all of those patterns because all three of those needs weren't met. And as a human who has complex PTSD, when I look at our six dysregulation types, I had characteristics of all six. Most humans have characteristics of two, maybe three. So just to kind of circle back to this question you had, you know, yes, we absolutely do get in patterns and our patterns are based on which threats continue to show up in our environment. But one thing we will do as humans is keep putting ourselves in environments where the threats are familiar. Totally.
0: Oh my God, Lee, you explained that so fucking well. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's like we just keep manifesting the same experiences
1: yeah because your 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 brain is trying to fix it your brain is going well if I put myself in this situation this time maybe I'll fix it not understanding that the actual moving through it in your body for once is what will help fix it is what will help clear it it's just that you've never had a experience where you were allowed to move through the dysregulation around what happened and let your nervous system come back to equilibrium, come back to this balanced state.
0: Totally. I mean, it goes back to like, we recreate our childhood over and over again until we fix it, right? Yeah. Okay. That makes so much sense. Okay. So if I'm going through and I'm looking at it from his patterns, Kessler's The rigid one was what i used to be it was like i'm the good girl i'll do whatever and i have worked through that what was so funny is it was like recently meet the teacher kind of night and we went through my daughter's schedule and i found myself in the classroom like getting back into that sitting up really straight like Uh taking my nose making sure i was like kind of fawning along the way and i was like oh whoa, here we go again like going back into that and it it makes sense too as i've worked through my stuff of like now i feel like i'm working through a lot of fawning Kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. that makes sense because I've worked through the other ones. Yeah, that's
1: our pleasing dysregulation pattern. So the pleaser is the one that's like, forget my needs. I am going to make sure everyone else's needs around me are met, even to the point of my own detriment sometimes. Yeah. So it's that primary need of like being liked, right? And then some people, their fawn shows up as a little bit more controlling. Because they also have a need to be in control because when they're in control, if they can get everything perfect, then they'll get approval from their caregivers or from their elders. And so I see those two types show up in conjunction with each other a lot, Mm -hmm. the controlling, pleasing person, because if they can keep everything in order, and then also if they can make sure it's to everyone else's liking, then
0: they'll get their needs met. Yes, 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 yes. Of course, I look at it from like an Enneagram lens too. And I'm like, yeah, Enneagram twos. (laughs) (laughs) You know,
1: (laughs) Yeah, my three. Yes, the twos. And then especially twos with the three wing, like that three wing is like, please notice me and tell me I'm important and special. And that I like, I love the Enneagram because it gives me such a good insight into
0: people's unmet needs, especially from that's what I was thinking of when you were talking about the needs. I was like, yeah, look at the Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could put like the eights with the control, and
1: which is me. I'm yeah, an yeah, eight. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So yes, which is so funny. You're definitely a healthy eight at that too growth path. <laughs> I um, have gotten
0: to a healthy eight. I was not a healthy eight for a while. <laughs> Every eight needs their growth, and then they're like, yes. Then they're sweet. They're nice. Yeah. Okay, Lee. You dropped so much knowledge. The only thing that comes up for me, especially if I was listening to this for the first time and kind of mind yeah. blown by the whole thing. And I've done some episodes on this, but if someone just happens to pop in and listen to this one, if they're hearing emotional regulation, yeah, they're probably like, "What the f is that? Yeah. so can you just give us a nutshell of what that is?
1: Yes. So emotional regulation is basically if you think about it from the perspective of uh, like being out in the ocean, right? if you're if your emotions are waves, If you fight your emotions or you try to like shove them back down or you really, uh, yeah, if you tense up around them, a lot of times you're going to get taken out by those waves, right? Like you're going to get sucked under and then you're going to try to get back up and you're going to get sucked back under. And so a lot of people spend their lives fighting the waves. They spend their lives trying to not feel their feelings when they get dysregulated, when something unexpected happens, when something scary or weird or upsetting happens. And so emotional regulation is if you can imagine being in the ocean and just like floating on your back and like letting the waves come and like writing them as they come without getting knocked by them, without getting taken or sucked under by them. It's basically you're letting that tension go. Mm. And so another, like a very short way of saying this is like you let yourself feel your feelings. No matter how bad or wrong or negative you've been taught, those certain feelings are, you actually give yourself, the word that we use in the trauma space is attunement. So you give yourself really, really intentional, like undivided attention and you give yourself also unconditional acceptance. So You don't judge the fact that you're feeling a certain way. Instead, you give yourself compassion and grace and love and go, okay, what is this feeling trying to tell me? What is the point of this feeling? Why is it here? And what you'll notice is, is that the more emotional regulation you practice, the more physically regulated your body will get because your body's not going to tense up whenever you have feelings because those feelings feel scarier or unsafe.
0: Yeah. So the more you do that, the less trauma responses you get into too.
1: Yeah. So I tell people that the the frequency of your trauma responses may not go down. A lot of times does Mm -hmm. the frequency of how often you get hashtag triggered may not go down (laughs) and the quickness with which you recognize you are triggered. The, 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 the speed of awareness gets much faster And your ability to then ask yourself, to show yourself attunement and to ask yourself, what do I need? Like, why is this feeling here? Is going to get much better, much stronger. And so you're going to be able to move through these activating situations in a much more like logical and grounded way. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to do things that are out of character or that you didn't want to do. And so then you have less messes to clean up and then you are in better relationship with yourself and other people. And then you start to get less triggered.
0: Yes. I love how you said that. Yeah. You handle it faster, better, and then it gets less. Yes. Yeah. Something else too, as you become more regulated, you realize how long you were not regulated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and you're
1: like, woo, I've got a lot to clean up. <laughs> Which is also where the, the practicing of attunement is so helpful mm. because once you see it, you can't unsee it. There, I mean, if you just listen to those four trauma responses and you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm a walking trauma response. Again, one of the, the human um, things that we're taught to do is to feel shame or guilt around that. and. What I want to say is, is if you're becoming more aware, like that's the sexy part, like that's the awesome part, because now you can actually do something about it and you get to go easy on yourself. Like you don't have to shift every one of your trauma responses right after you turn off this podcast. Like you can choose one place. Okay. I would really like to work on fawning at work. Or I would really like to work on my fight response when it shows up with my kids, when they don't clean or when they don't do what I've asked them to do. You can pick small places where you start working on it. And I like to think of it as like a big, when you wake up and you realize how dysregulated you've been, it's like this big ball of yarn that's all like really tight and tangled. So as you're becoming more aware, you're just like taking your fingers and putting them inside of that yarn ball and like loosening it up. And then you're gonna start to be able to pull on some strings. And as you pull on one side, another side's gonna loosen. And pretty soon, you know, your whole life looks different because as you're getting more regulated in one place, it starts affecting the other places as
0: well. Mm, totally. Holy, so good. Okay. Tell us all the things, including how to work with you because I'm in some of your stuff. Yes. Yes. Uh, so we have all of our, well, first of all, we have two
1: free things that I really resources that I like to share with people. So we have um, a Facebook group called becoming trauma informed. And we also have a podcast that we just renamed that's called becoming trauma informed. And so both of those are some really great places to, um, listen more and to uh, get more information about what I talked about. There's probably like 60 episodes on a lot of this stuff and the group is a good place for community. And then we have both short courses for different types of humans that want to learn different things. So we have like a parent course and a entrepreneur course and an upcoming coach course and then we have long-term trainings for people who really want to do deep dives, either to understand for themselves or to actually go out into the world and incorporate this into their teachings and train other people and how to be trauma-informed. So if you go to our website, institutefortrauma.com, there's a courses page and it's got all the information on everything and wait lists and everything that you need.
0: Yeah. And you can get like the chum informed entrepreneur, parent, all that at any time, right, Lee? Yes.
1: Yeah. So as we run all of our courses live once, and then we package them up nice and neat and put them on our website to purchase for self-study. So if you're somebody who likes live courses, we have wait lists for the upcoming ones on the site. And if you're somebody who is like, oh, no, I, I missed this, but like, I really wanted to learn about how do I infuse trauma-informed practices into my business as an entrepreneur? Then yeah, you can grab our self-study course. Yeah,
0: because I've just done your trauma-informed entrepreneur one. And I've told you many times, even though I've done this work for a while, I, just the way that you word things, the way that you phrase it. There were so many times I was like, I just have to step away because I'm so fucking mind blown <laughs> with stuff. And that I think, it, you know, I don't know what you're packaging price-wise, but it's very affordable for these yeah, courses. Yeah,
1: I think, I think the the, they run between 97 and $197. So we, we really, one of our huge values is just accessibility for this, this information, because honestly, I'm like, people shouldn't have to have six figures in student loan debt. Like I do in order to have gotten this information, like it's, it's so valuable. So,
0: yeah. So go check her stuff out. I listen to your podcast all the time too, Lee, and it's awesome. And you can just go and like search for different ones of the different trauma responses and different things you talk about. You talk a lot about shame too, which is a big thing. Um, So go check all that out. And thank you, Dr. Lee, for all your wisdom. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast. If you haven't left a review for the show yet, what are you waiting for? Your reviews give us the feedback and momentum we need to continue to produce this incredible free content for you. Plus, when you leave a review for the show, you get a copy of my book for free. Simply take a picture of your review and submit it to Lindsay L I N D S A Y e epreston.com forward slash 100. And you'll receive a digital copy of My Wisdom from the First Hundred Episodes book. This book is a study guide for life. Enjoy. And of course, share the show with your friends. I believe every woman can create a deeply fulfilling life that lights them the fuck up from the inside the more you help others succeed, the more you help yourself. So share, share, share this show. And I'll see you soon and your friends back on the show next week for another eye-opening episode. Until then, keep rocking it.